This episode is a part of a special series devoted to a new edited book titled Social and Emotional Learning in Physical Education, Applications in School and Community Settings. Published by Jones and Bartlett Learning in cooperation with Shape America, the book is edited by Dr. Paul Wright of Northern Illinois University and Dr. Kevin Richards of the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. Uh, it's available for fall 2021 instruction. The text will integrate well into physical education teacher education coursework, and it's a great resource for teachers looking to increase the focus on social and emotional learning in their classes. This special series is sponsored by the Physical Activity and Life Skills Group in the Department of Kinesiology and Physical Education at Northern Illinois University. Hey, Risto here at George Mason University. I am joined today by Dr. Wes Wilson, an assistant professor at the University of Utah. Uh, thanks for coming on, Wes. Hey, thanks, Risto, so much for having me. Um, I also want to acknowledge uh, my co-authors on this piece before we get too, too much further. Uh, Justin Hagel at Old Dominion University and uh, Alyssa Trad, who's at the University of Illinois. Awesome. So I wanted to start off by asking a more kind of overarching question. What about SEL makes it important for students with disabilities as compared to a general student population that we would see in normal physical education? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, in a general sense, SEL has been operationalized as a, a development of several competencies related to um, things like understanding and managing emotions, achieving positive goals, demonstrating empathy for others, and uh, being able to create, develop, maintain uh, you know, positive relationships among students and other school faculty. So, um, you know, these are sort of the components that we look for in SEL. Mm -hmm. However, one of the big um, caveats to this is it has to take place within an, an equitable learning environment so that all students can thrive. So it's not just students without disabilities, of course. Um, and in relation to this ch book chapter, it's, um, you know, students with disabilities. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, what we see in physical education, um, specifically related to like integrated settings, that historically we have failed to create this equitable learning environment. So even today, you know, the available research that we have from the perspectives of individuals with disabilities themselves often illustrates stories of isolation, um, exclusion, and marginalization in these physical education spaces. Thus, we're creating a learning environment that is antithetical to social and emotional development. Um, so within this context, to enhance SEL competencies requires this really intentional effort on our part to create this equitable learning environment that is inclusive for those with disabilities. And so this is sort of what we try to unpack within this chapter. Yeah, and, and it's interesting. I didn't even think about this before I was reading this chapter, but you mentioned a lack of literature in the space of PE, adapted PE, and SEL. Um, how did that affect in preparing and writing for this chapter when there wasn't a lot to go off of? Yeah, so uh, my co-authors and I had to meet a lot um, as we were in the developing stages of this chapter. Um, when uh, when Paul and Kevin came to us asking us to uh, put this, this chapter together, our first um, concern was, wow, we just don't know a lot about this as it relates specifically to the physical education and adaptive physical education of students with disabilities. So kind of knowing that going in, uh, we, we tried our best to find what we would consider evidence-based practices or at least research informed practices that we could draw upon mm -hmm. to uh, communicate um, how to, to enhance and develop 
social and, social and emotional development in students with disabilities. So we turn to um, a lot of special education literature um, because as a general principle, uh, researchers in special education are always about five to 10 years ahead of us in APE mm -hmm. as far as what they're looking at. Um, so we wanted to draw heavily on some of that just so we can say with some measure of degree, like at least this has been useful in special education. And here's some of the evidence that shows that. Um, and then we tried to couch that understanding within a discussion of physical education and adaptive physical education to see if we could draw parallels that we think used to, the reader would find useful in trying to develop these competencies among um, students with disabilities. So what this amounted to in this chapter is us uh, drawing on some tangentially related studies that do provide some empirical evidence, not only in special education, um, but in some general education settings. And then um, we do have a, a couple tangentially related studies and adapted physical activity more broadly and, and those types of settings. Um, but then, like, as you acknowledged that uh, specific to APE and PE service for those with disabilities, uh, SEL has largely been ignored by our research community. So yeah, yeah. Um, this, this left sort of a conundrum for my co-authors and I, but we think the, the end product of this chapter, we, we do try to tie all these pieces together and provide um, the readers with something that we're, we're confident in. Well, sounds like a rich line of research for an up and coming doctoral student who's thinking about what should I study? What, what has not been looked at? So uh, it, was, it was interesting to read that. I, I just kind of assumed because SEL is such a big topic in PE lately that it was also going to be such a big thing in, in adapted PE. And it, it didn't seem like that. Um, yeah, no, no, and not yet. But maybe with this, with this uh, chapter coming out, it'll start, uh, you know, greasing some gears to, um, in the minds of our up and coming researchers, as yeah. you said, to look at this more closely. You know, I will say though that you know we tried to connect, um, you know, SEL development among students with disabilities to other things that we had better ideas about, like this idea notion of inclusiveness in physical education and how can inclusiveness play into this quote unquote equi equitable learning environment that we're trying to create. And, um, you know, I think as we go through our discussion today, we'll, we'll touch a lot more on that. Yeah. And I think the inclusiveness piece also comes into the idea of you and I are still having this conversation of APE being completely separate of PE. And we've had conversations on this podcast before with Scott McNamara um, and other people about how we haven't included in, in PE, that we've always kind of looked at them as separate topics. So um, it's disappointing that I, I fell into the trap again of, of kind of thinking of them as two separate entities, whereas it is all physical education. Mm -hmm. Part of it just needs, uh, has some modification. So um, yeah, sorry. And uh, you yeah. know, that's a really interesting thing that you, you bring up because I've talked to so many uh, APE researchers that have different views on this where it was like, why do we have APE as a thing? Because, you know, should APE exist or should it be PE? Like in Canada, they don't even have an AP APE. They just have physical education. And then there's a sort of understanding that their PE teachers are going to do all these things, which mm -hmm. can lead to other problems, of course. Yeah. Uh, but then, you know, in some of the data we've collected, we found that APE teachers don't feel like they're associated with PE at all because they're more mm -hmm. closely aligned with um, special educators. Um, and so that creates this sort of a, this dual 
uh, involvement in these two social groups, like special educators or physical educators. And yeah. sorry, I'm getting way off topic, but this no. creates a larger picture of, well, how is APE um, valued and kind of what social group does it belong to and how might this ultimately impact the inclusiveness and, you know, SEL of students with disabilities. And there you go. I tied it back to SEL. That was a good tie-in. <laughs> and I think that leads into uh, a concept that you brought up that Don Hellison had brought up years and years ago, the humanistic approach. Can you explain uh, what that is? Yeah, so we tried to be very intentional with how we describe behavior management as a means to enhance SEL skills among students with disabilities. I think the common pitfall of many educators is to see misbehavior as something that needs to simply be fixed or redirected without understanding the larger implications uh, on the student's SEL well-being. So, uh, you know, this idea, this notion of humanistic approach, this perspective, we would think and we would wish, desire teachers to be responsible for, um, you know, several of these considerations, such as connecting with students through a safe environment in which all feel a sense of belonging. Um, you know, we want them to consider understanding individual behaviors and feelings. We want them to help students understand those behaviors and feelings. Um, obviously, teaching personal and social responsibility falls into that. Um, and the important thing that that we note is that these considerations all align with what we believe to be important about inclusive education, that the students themselves will experience a sense of belonging, value, and acceptance. Uh, so these are sort of the, the hallmark, the cornerstones of inclusive education. Now, the question then becomes, how do we do these things if we aren't soliciting the voices of those students? So a lot of what we see in the literature, and we note this in the chapter, is very unidirectional where we have researchers or other non-disabled stakeholders determining what leads to social and emotional development among students with disabilities. So we're trying to describe and explain those feelings without really asking them, what are you feeling? Now, I'm not trying to uh, discount any of this previous work. It certainly has merit. But I think the true SEL comes from this um, co-construction, if you will, of experience between the students with disabilities themselves, the teacher, the coach, um, other students, and any other stakeholders that might be uh, present. So, you know, another way, another way of phrasing this is we need to ask those questions, how they are experiencing the physical education space. How are their experiences fitting into um, their own understanding of their personal and social growth? How is that fitting into our understanding of their personal and social growth? Um, you know, how are they re developing and maintaining relationships in this setting? Um, are they being successful with that? Um, you know, or are we taking this perspective that basically gives um, the, the creation of the narrative to non-disabled power, meaning, you know, us? Or are we actually trying to interpret the experiences through, through their lens? So, you know, I think this type of introspection uh, will allow us to better understand, you know, the behaviors and the social and emotional development of these students and hopefully get us to this more humanistic uh, yeah. perspective. And I think one of the examples or kind of metaphors that you used, it, it was when we do this uh, questioning about SEL from stakeholders, what are their perceptions of it? It's the equivalent of one of the ones you use is like a chef doing a restaurant review on their own restaurant. Like you wouldn't mm -hmm. ever do that. 
but mm-hmm. we we are lacking that student voice about their experiences in there. And so I, I found that a very good analogy. Um, and, but let me let me switch gears a little bit here because we talk about Don Hallison and that humanistic approach. In the chapter you wrote specifically about TPSR, teaching personal and social responsibility, which is a curriculum model Don Hallison created mm-hmm. over years and years of work. Um, but what does this approach look like in an ad- adapted PE setting? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, and a lot of the research that we cited in that section uh, focuses a little bit more on adapted physical activity programs that are not really um, like what you consider maybe physical education or adapted physical education because they take place outside of the school. Mm-hmm. Um, um, however, you know, nonetheless, this, this research has still shown some pretty promising results, um, such as increasing sense of ability positive feelings, positive social interactions among students, uh, where, you know, students with disabilities and students without are able to befriend each other and then lead to, um, you know, sources of mutual respect as well. Um, So, you know, in trying to conceptualize what this would look like in a PE setting or um, maybe an APE setting where it's maybe just self uh, students with disabilities in a self-contained setting, um, it's, it's almost a um it's almost a a function of creativity because we don't have really literature to show us what that would look like Mm -hmm. if if that makes sense um however i think that we can take some um we can we can take some stock in uh, a 2017 study by uh, menendez and fernandez rio who actually tried to uh, take this TPSR approach and, and emerge it with a little bit of sport education uh, as the instructional model. And they were, they were trying to, um, to see, you know, how that affected the, the social and emotional learning of their students. And they included, you know, obviously the students with disabilities in that study. And they actually collected data from the students with disabilities. So they were doing this thing that we're talking about where they're not trying to unilaterally construct this experience for their students, but instead, you know, they're like, okay, how are you, um, as the student that we're trying to serve with this program, how are you experiencing this in this public school uh, PE, integrated PE setting? Mm-hmm. Um, and they found that, um, you know, the, the students were actually uh, developing friendships. They were perceiving their experiences in integrated PE as successful. Um, and, you know, this is pretty, this is in stark contrast to what a lot of the contemporary research that's coming out showing that students with disabilities are not having a very good time in integrated PE. So I think that really highlights the usefulness of a TPSR approach where they make intentional efforts to, um, you know, try to get the students to buy in to the, you know, their, their own social emotional uh, responsibilities, what they're supposed to do in class, but they're doing that with them rather than for them. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, a total sidebar here, because you mentioned the Fernandez-Rio study, and I'm, I'm assuming that uh, it was in Spain. I may be making a huge assumption here. But I'm wondering, just as a complete aside, is it harder for you to get an IRB to research adapted physical education than it would be to just go, like me, going into a general physical education setting with no students with disabilities in that class? When you're targeting mm-hmm. your research to figure out more about adaptive PE, is it harder mm-hmm. for you to get through that ethics p- 
piece. Yeah, so obviously you bring up a couple of important points here. Obviously, when you're dealing with any participant who's a minor, um, mm -hmm. you know, there's additional, because they're considered a vulnerable group, there's additional considerations, and you have to prove that, you know, what you're doing is ethical, and it, it meets the, the standard practice of your field. Now, when you add in, you know, a child that has a disability, it's almost like they're a duly, mar or duly um, vulnerable group, mm -hmm. right? Because they're going to ask you questions like, well, how can you ensure that this child knows what they're consenting to? Like, do they understand what you're asking them to do? And, you know, there's always, um, and rightly so, um, you know, ethical concerns uh, uh, assigned to that. Mm -hmm. And I will say that we have collected data from children with disabilities. Um, and, it, you know, the IRB is, is fine, but the larger the larger problem is making sure that as researchers we're ethical in the way that we're interpreting their their information. So that's sort of what we run into. Um, it's like, okay, how am I making sure that I'm not trying to put words into this child's voice, but I'm actually uh, accurately de describing what their experiences are? Yeah. And I think that's might be one reason why we don't have much research as far as like SEL from the perspectives of the students themselves, just because it's so much harder. IRB is one thing, but then making sure that we collect data, you know, especially if they have limited expressive and communication skills. Yeah. Um, so there, are, I think that's why we just don't see it as much. And, you know, I'm the, you know, I, I've been critical and I have colleagues that have been critical of that approach. But then again, I am also the one who also does research on teachers too, just because, you know, it's a little bit easier. Yeah. Um, but I'm trying to move more to trying to, um, to get at those experiences. Um, but the research is tougher and that's probably contributes to why we're having this conversation about, yeah. well, we're, we, we think this is helpful. And I, that's why I highlighted um, the Fernandez Rio study, just because like, wow, they actually, they did this. And this is something that we can, we need to look more closely at because this shows how this, um, you know, how when kids with disabilities and without, when they're allowed to co-construct their involvement in sort of these SEL programs, then that's when we get that meaningful rich data that we can sort of start building, um, you know, building, um, our literature base. On. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because the research on teaching and PE specifically has been trending towards using more pre-service teachers and in-service teachers. So adults that don't need to get parental consent, it's one less step. And they've been pushing towards uh, questionnaire data because it's much easier for them to just with the internet now, like you just send out a questionnaire and you get a 15% response rate and, and you're good. And I think that those are, those are studies that are easy to do, easy to analyze if you have the ability to do so, but I'm not sure how much they're, you know, like how, how would you be able to do that to find out more about SEL and a, a you know, special ed population or adapted physical education population. So it just doesn't seem to match the methods that are popular. Doesn't don't match what we really want to know. Yeah, and, and I will note that um, some of the, the few TPSR research out there that does look at kids with disabilities and sort of this adapted physical activity context, um, you know, some of those those researchers are saying, you know, we, we did this study, but we collected data from kids without disabilities from parents uh, from, you know, uh, from our own research notes. And that's kind of how we formed our opinions. But then they mentioned, you know, this, the limitation of this is we didn't get information from mm -hmm. kids with disabilities. So I think that um, TPSR researchers are, that, that sort of look at uh, these adaptive physical activity programs are responsive and they understand that importance. So I think that's really good. Now we just 
you know, have to, as a field, kind of move that next step where we're relying that relying on that information as sort of a primary data source as as we try to understand and co-construct uh, what the influence of SEL is on this population. So earlier on, you talked about these two words, inclusivity and integration. Can you explain, uh, and I'm kind of cut off the rest of this question that I was going to ask, because I think it, I think what I, what we need to know is the difference between inclusivity and integration. And can you talk me through that? Yeah. So I, I've, uh, talked uh, so much about this with my, with my co-authors and, um, you know, in the field of APE, this is sort of one of those talking points where, you know, if you talk to the wrong person, you're going to get a pretty impassioned response. Um, so this, this is always a fun, good discussion to have. Um, so I think um, what my co-authors and I are trying to do, at least in this piece and some of the other projects we've done together, is get away from the notion that integration um, is tantamount to inclusion. So just having someone's mere presence in an integrated physical, uh, integrated physical education class, you cannot assume that that child will feel included. And the way that we have operationalized uh, inclusivity or inclusion in our chapter and some of our other work has been, well, does that student um, experience subjective feelings of um, belonging, value, and acceptance. Mm -hmm. So those are sort of the, the three things, um, the three ways we conceptualized it in, in this chapter. Um, and, you know, do they feel those things in an integrated setting? And I think a lot of the research that we, that we use in our chapter shows that, you know, students feel different. They feel like their value, their, their bodies are not valued in space. Because when we think about PE, um, you know, right or wrong, we think about a really competitive environment. We think about, you know, those with who are more athletic uh, are gonna be the ones that have the more valuable bodies. Um, and if we set up this really hyper-competitive atmosphere in, in PE, then who, who would not be valued in that space? Would it be students who are not, not as able, um, not able-bodied? So, you know, in that type of context, then it would be really hard for you know, students with disabilities to feel like their body is valued, um, that they belong in that space, and that they're accepted in that space. And I think then, you know, we 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 played with this in the in relation to our discussion about SEL. Like, well, if we can't get this equitable learning environment in place, then how are we going to develop all these SEL comp uh, competencies? Um, right. So yeah, this idea of inclusivity and integration are not the same thing. However, what we want to see ideally, and I think this is the intention of special education law, is that integration and inclusivity would overlap. Like those two concepts would be uh, the same thing, yeah. right? However, I think the research bears out that that's just not the case, um, at least for a lot of students with disabilities. Um, and, and that's becoming clearer and clearer as we're trying to be more intentional in doing research that directly looks at their own voices and perspectives. Um, and, you know, in a couple of the projects that we've done since this chapter, we've tried to also relook at the word inclusion and inclusivity because it is a pretty loaded term. You know, we talk about inclusion a lot um, and, and what that means. And, you know, we're trying to move away from the idea that a child has to be in an integrated setting 
to feel included, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, you know, we've done projects that have looked at, at kids who have been in self-contained physical education classes just with other kids with, with students or with other kids with disabilities. Um, and they felt the same things that we were looking for in inclusion. They felt like they belonged there. They felt that they were valued in that space. Um, you know, they were able to make friends. And, you know, when we're talking about, you know, these SEL competencies, those, you know, there's a lot of alignment there. And, but they're feeling inclusive. They're, they're feeling included in a very non-integrated setting. So we're trying to sort of reframe inclusivity to, to transcend any student placement because we think that, we think that, um, you know, saying that a child can only feel included in integration, is sort of almost like a really ableist perspective because we're saying that you only have value and you're only, you can only feel included when you're with people that are non-disabled. And so then we're not really valuing that, that child's embodied knowledge, their experiences, their perspectives, their ideas on things because of that position. And I know that sort of um, kind of goes off on a little bit of a tangent, but I think it just uh, kind of forces us to revisit this notion of inclusivity and integration and where they overlap um, and where we can do better and sort of our understanding of these concepts. Yeah, and I I would admit that before we had this conversation, before I read the chapter, when I looked at these, yeah, you know, I I talked to Justin Hagel about this. He talked about the difference between inclusivity and integration super early on in the podcast. But, you know, I think that still my idea before I read this chapter was that, okay, when you integrate a student into a general education setting, that's where they should be because they should be able to be within a general physical education population and be successful in there. And I, I would think, I think the ableist perspective is that just as long as I'm integrating, they're going to feel inclusive, but there's a lot more that the PE teacher needs to do to make that student feel inclusive. And it's not as a default, like just as, just because you're integrating does not mean that you're creating an inclusive environment. And I think when student, when, when teachers think about that, you know, I, I think when you really, really break that down, there's probably a lot of places that don't serve an inclusive environment. And partially that's also because I haven't gone in and interviewed those students with disabilities and asked them where they feel more comfortable and how I could make that. And I think, I think you bring up some super uh, interesting points on that. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, I, I, you know, Justin and I work a lot together and we have these conversations about this and, you know, neither, neither uh, he nor I, I think it's safe to say, would claim that we're experts in this because only the students themselves can be experts of their experiences. We're just trying to research and having better understanding of, of those experiences. And, you know, I myself personally have had a lot of growth over this too, over the last number of years. Um, so it, it's a pretty humbling to think about. And, you know, I think it's it's good for us to come to grips with that a little bit because then it forces us to try to, you know, to, to do better. Yeah. So you also wrote about bullying and the effects of bullying on disabled students, especially in PE settings, which is interesting. Uh, can you talk about how SEL affects or stymies the instances of bullying against disabled students? Yeah, so this is... Um sort of the, the content and, and the way that we frame a lot of the work that we do, because 
it's really hard for um, you know SEL to be possible when we, like I said earlier, we can't create this um, you know equitable learning environment that necessitates you know inclusion. Basically, um, you know, and in the chapter we go in and talk about um, this um, sort of larger scale SEL intervention that was done in, in public schools. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in a general sense, um, SEL competency development um, has worked in decreasing uh, bullying in schools uh, through explicit instruction and empathy, uh, through a development of communication skills, uh, emotional regulation. So this, you know, was a series of lesson plans that they, that they, um, you know, gave to um, to students with disabilities to try to, to to decrease instances of bullying, basically. Now, while this was, uh, you know, a really good way for us to frame our discussion of bullying, um, you know, it's not in a physical education context. And you know how, as I described a little bit earlier, the physical education space is so different from other content areas in school. Um, for one, being quote unquote able-bodied is, uh, you know, historically been very important, and you know that might not come through as much in other parts of school, right? But it might be hype, like um, might be really emphasized mm-hmm. in that PE setting. So um, you know, we, we 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 tried to borrow from that intervention study when we could, but then you know we tried to tie it back into well, is this an inclusive setting? Um, are we valuing that student's embodied knowledge, their experience, um, their role in physical education, or are we just looking sort of at um, the role of the teacher, how how the teacher perceives the involvement of that student in their class? Um, so, you know, unfortunately, we don't have a lot of PE and APE evidence to really to get to these same things. But we generally believe that, you know, being able to teach empathy skills, how to communicate um, in a way that's consistent with with their identities, um, you know, how for, how they can determine what their own emotions are and, and and what effect their emotions have on others. Like those things still are important, but we just don't have like an intervention level uh, project that, that shows how we can really limit these things in PE and APE. And I feel like that could really be the title of the podcast. We just don't know. We're, we're sort of just guessing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and that's sort of, uh, you know, a very cynical perspective. Um, but I do think there are things that we can we can do to try to to use uh, these uh, competency, competencies of SEL and these tenets of SEL to um, try to, you know, try to make it a better experience for kids with disabilities um, in relation uh, to bullying. And a lot of that just becomes comes down to you know, being responsive um, in the classroom, how to create this equitable learning environment in a way that students with disabilities will not feel different. They won't be highlighted for their difference, differences um, in a way that, you know, they're not just sitting on the side of the classroom. Right. Um, you know, that they're actually having meaningful involvement, not just being a, a scorekeeper, yeah. because that has come through in a number of, of studies. And that doesn't make someone feel valuable. That makes someone feel like, you know, they're a warm body yeah. <laughs> at the side of the gym. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I, when I was reading this chapter, I, I thought back to when I was in middle school. And, you know, we had students with disabilities in there. And and I just remember there were certain students that were like these really strong allies, able-bodied students who were always like there defending them. 
and you know like I even think about certain high schools that run these buddy programs of they have an adaptive PE class and juniors and seniors are selected to go in and work with these students and I'll admit I was not one of those people on on that side you know being a super strong ally and I think that part of it was because I was never around students with disabilities I was never effectively taught the empathy skills to think through this it was it was like I was in my own world and I just look at like you know 12, 13, 14 year old kids who have that wherewithal to be so profoundly empathetic and going out of their way to literally like protect certain students in that school and what type of courage that takes and what type of knowledge that takes and do we actually teach that stuff and I think with this anti-bullying campaign that has been going on for you know several years in the U.S. I feel like we we do teach a lot more of that, uh, you know, effectively. But are we talking about cyberbullying and all these other things, or are we talking about bullying against students with disabilities? And what part of that do adapted PE teachers or general PE teachers who have students with disabilities in their in their classes? How much are they actually like pushing that uh, that piece? And I, I found that super interesting and definitely brought back some memories of seeing some trauma and inflicted to students with disabilities and in the schools that I've been in. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's a really complicated thing because, um, you know, kind of like you, when I was growing up, I didn't, they kept students with disabilities completely segregated from the rest of us. So we didn't see them anywhere in PE or even passing in the hallways. Um, so then, you know, we don't learn those skills. Um, and then we're forced to sort of do it on, learn them a little bit later in less ideal environments when we're, when we're adults. Um, but I think kind of the, the main thing in talking about bullying and, and sort of constructing this uh, environment where everyone feeling everyone feels a sense of belonging, value, uh, and acceptance is that you know when 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 children with disabilities are included in these types of settings that they're not seen sort of as a novelty that they're not seen as a tool to teach, that they're not seen as a tool to teach SEL competency to kids without disabilities, but they're seen as value in their own right, that they're not yeah. seen kind of as a tool for learning, yeah. but that they're, they have an active voice in creating the narrative of their experience in those settings. And I think that's really tough to do. Um, and I think that's where, you know, we as a field have fallen short, uh, not in just regards to uh, like, integrated physical education or self-contained physical education, but in, you know, larger adaptive physical activity programs like service learning or other field experience right. that we can't just see them as a tool for learning because that is a very um, diminishing role mm -hmm. that, yeah, that doesn't suggest um, equity. And yeah. that's obviously something that's uh, foundational to uh, SEL, but that, yeah, that's a great point that you brought up. Bristol. Yeah. So in, in the in the chapter, I thought the narratives were really good. Can you talk to me about why you wanted to include a narrative por portion for the for the chapter? Yes. Um, so, you know, as much as possible, my co-author co-authors and I want to try to practice what we preach. And I realize the irony that we have presumably two able-bodied men talking about this experience. Mm -hmm. But regardless, within this uh, chapter, we wanted to draw on the voices to to explain far better than uh, 
my co-authors and I could ever do about what what ex negative experiences could be like and how that could have implications for the social and emotional uh, well well-being of students with disabilities. And we thought that was very relevant to our discussion, and so we tried to tie it in in a, a in as authentic way as we could. Um, so the the data that you see um, in these narratives actually comes from the actual voices of um, people with disabilities in relation to their experiences, specifically to integrated physical education. Um, and we thought that that would be a powerful way of saying, hey, this, these are not our words. These are words directly from those experiencing disability. And this is what we think is salient to your understanding as a reader uh, to kind of the backdrop that we're trying to talk about SEL in. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that you know, when people get their hands on the book, I think they're going to be great, great stories to kind of put, you know, see it from from the student's point of view. Um, look, I, I think this has been a great conversation. I, I'm going to end with this last question that I'm asking everybody that's coming on. And you can answer it any way you want. But why SEL? Yeah, that, that's a very profound uh, question. It's a loaded question. The, at the end. <laughs> yeah, that's that. Yeah, that's that's a good one. Um, so you know, knowing what, or knowing what we're learning in these last 10 years about uh, the experiences of, of children with disabilities in physical education, uh, especially integrated physical education, um, and knowing that a lot of times they don't feel included, I think that presents itself as a very strong justification and rationale why we should be looking at SEL as a way that we can try to start addressing some of these problems that's being highlighted in, in some of our recent research. So I guess in summation, my, my quick answer to that is why, S, why SEL? I'd say, why not? Yeah. We, need to, we need to start being more intentional about the way we're looking at this. Yeah, and, and we've talked a lot of ways that people can be intentional, whether that's an adaptive PE teacher, whether that's a physical education teacher or a, or a PEEP professor who can start integrating this content into, into their PEEP classes. So uh, Wes, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you so much, Wes. I appreciate getting a chance to talk about this, the platform to kind of highlight some APE uh, conversations on on your podcast. And I also want to thank uh, my, my co-authors, Justin Hagel and uh, Alyssa Trad as well as uh, Paul Wright and Kevin Richards for the invitation to be a part of this book. Yeah, absolutely. And the book is going to be out July 1st, 2021 um, by Jones and Bartlett. And you can find a lot of information on how to get it from the uh, Shape America website from their books. And uh, that's all we got. Thanks, Wes. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you.